Yes, it's the place to be for all things franchising. Hello everyone and welcome. Um, today's topic is sales. Um, as you know, Franchise Simply are committed to ensuring you're informed about all relevant topics, including sales specifically, because it's the life and blood of any business. So it's great to be with you again. And there's a bit of excitement, because today I've got a, a genuine celebrity guest who will surprise and inspire <laughs> you. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and then that laugh in the background will be a bit of a giveaway when we get around to this. But uh, a quick reminder to you all to have pen and paper ready, because I guarantee you want to take lots of notes. And for members of Franchise Simply, as usual, will be a transcript of this available in time in our, in our uh, members' vault. And today's guest is Marty Wilson. Marty is quite an outstanding individual. He's spoken to a half, over half a million people since he first leapt onto the stage 20 years ago. He, in, uh, in his first 12 months, he won Australian Comic of the Year. Uh, he's appeared on the Footy Show. He appears regularly um, on various things like Sunrise. He writes for City Morn Herald and Reader's Digest. And he actually spent 10 years in the UK where he was a full-time stand-up comedian. He's an author of 15 books. And one thing that Marty's learned is there's a huge difference between comedy clubs and corporate events uh, because he's now a full-time speaker, MC, working with such clients as Westpac, Macquarie, Toyota, American Express, and franchise groups, a number of them like Dimmocks, Jamaica Blue, Mortgage Choice, Muffin Great, Fitness First, the list goes on and on. So, plus, plus I think one of the badges in his cap is that he's the only non-American ever been asked to speak at the, uh, the third annual Funny Business Conference in San Francisco. So, Marty, absolutely delighted to have you here today. Thank you, mate. Absolute pleasure. And uh, I, I feel a bit <laughs> a bit weird you calling me a celebrity, but I'll, I'll go with it. I'll go with it. You'll go with it. Yep, okay. As far as we're concerned, you are. So there you are. That's what counts. So um, to get straight into it, talking about you know the topic today, more funny, more money, how to use humour in your business for more engagement, more influence, and more sales. So that's a long hook. There's a lot in that. So... I can't wait to get into this and ask you some of these questions. Uh, and the first one is, you know, business is usually seem to be pretty serious. Um, yeah. Why should we deliberately use humour, Marty? Well, I, I think one of the, the biggest, um, you know, light bulb moments that came on for me, uh, so when I was a stand-up comic, I had an agent who, who did all the selling that needed happening for me. You know, like I had an agent who would go out there and, and pitch me at people and that sort of thing. So when I started... Um, selling my books when I started writing books and when I started uh, on the, the speaking circuit, the international speaking circuit, um, I was thoroughly unprepared for the fact that no one was out there selling me. And it was only when I was chatting with uh, my old advertising boss, Simon Reynolds, the you know, Cy Iman Reynolds with the, with the two eyes in his name, he was saying that uh, he, he'd read uh, somewhere that the most successful businesses, particularly the most successful small businesses and, and franchises. One thing I, I forgot to mention in, in um, when I sent you my bio, mate, is that I'm actually a third-generation pharmacist as well. So I grew up in a small business environment. And and he, Simon Reynolds was saying to me that the most successful businesses, particularly small businesses, spend 80% of their time, money, and effort marketing themselves. Um, spreading the word or getting in uh, customers and, you know, obviously engaging with previous customers, but, but marketing to, pre to um, existing customers as well. And, and so the way that works in the current business climate is, the way I put it is, to have a successful business these days, you need to, and I'm making quotation marks in the air, get up on stage. 
unique. You know, for some people, uh, getting up on stage might be chatting to customers when they come in your front door. For some people, getting up on stage is making videos on social media. For some people, getting up on stage is doing speaking like I do and positioning yourself um, through speaking out loud up on a formal stage somewhere. For some people, um, getting up on stage is running your blog or doing you know, little videos on your website and that sort of thing. But these days, you need to position, I'm sure I don't need to tell you this, Brian, you need to position yourself as the expert in your niche. You work out. You need to work out what you do better than your opposition and you need to put the word out there that you're doing that. Um, and so... The thing I say to people when, you know, when they come, when they come to see me for this more funny, more money stuff, you know, is that in business, you can't afford to be boring. So, you know, ask yourself, you know, when you're presenting to a group, do their eyes sparkle or gently glaze over? You know, if you're giving a speech to a presentation, are they nodding in agreement or just nodding off? You know, at the end of your new business pitch, do people write you a check or check their pulse to make sure they're still amongst the living? You know, like in uncertain times like these, you know, if you want your business known, your message heard, and your products and services sold, you can't afford to be forgettable. So I say um, the most acceptable way for you to um, very quickly break down the barriers between uh, people out there and yourself is to use a bit of humour. Um, you know, because because everyone is out there marketing themselves these days, we all get incredibly cynical. You know, uh, everybody is used to uh, seeing, I think, you know, the, the statistics vary from over a 1,000 to over 15,000 marketing messages per day or messages from people trying to persuade us to do uh, what they want us to do. And and so you have to uh, break through that. You know, you, you have to, you can't be like all the other people and just say, you know, come to Bob's Bouncy Beds, buy my beds and that sort of thing. Like, I... I I go on holiday, I don't know if, uh, where your listeners are from around Australia, but I go for holidays at a place called Shoal Bay, up Nelson Bay. And we always love going up there because it's regional television and the marketing, like the TV commercials up there are just fantastic. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> my wife's my wife's English and she just says, like, so I go, Bob's Bouncy Beds, buy my beds, Bob's Bouncy Beds. Like, it, it's just the, the marketing is so generic. Now, I remember this, this thought dawned on me when I was driving home from uh, my local nursery when I lived in the UK. When, when I give this presentation, uh, a more funny, more money presentation in person, I show slides of these three nurseries that I drove past on the way uh, home to my house in London. And there was one that was, Welcome to Robert Hill Nursery and Garden Centre. That was their big sign out, out the front of their, their place. And the next one is, Welcome to Riverside Garden Centre and Cafe, growing in the community for 20 years. And then we went past this last garden centre called Eden Garden Centre and their sign out the front just said, OMG, spring, I'm so excited I could wet my plants. And, you know, which one of, which one of those three garden centres are people going to snap a photo of and share it on their social media? Which one of those uh, three, the, the signs on the front of those three garden centres are people going to drive home and say, oh, you should have seen this garden centre. You know, you know that one out by the roundabout, you know, you know the silly old roundabout, you know, that one there. They had this sign out the front, like, to, to use a bit of humour is the most socially acceptable way to get people talking about your products and services. You know, because uh, humour is like this a super glue that gets wrapped around your brand and your business and your services, and it makes people talk about you. And you're like another... Um, and someone sent me um, these three uh, removal vans 
that he he uh, encountered. Mr. I sent you one. One was called Elite Removals, and it's you know beautifully uh, lovely font on the side of his van. Elite Removals, and the next one is CBD Removals. Oh, fantastic! Isn't that nice? CBD Removals. And the third one he sent me was this guy down in Jindabyne, who's is a removalist company. He calls himself the Van from Snowy River, <laughs> which I oh, think is fantastic. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Play, you know, play on words. Which, uh, yeah, really like uh, for me anyway. But they, maybe that's my corny sense of humour. <laughs> no, no, but, but um, you know, it, so it doesn't. See, that's one of the things that I'll get to a bit later on about when we talk about how to use humour. Like the bar is so low when it comes to your content marketing or your Facebook posts or the way you communicate with your customers, the bar is so low because most business people have this idea that, no, this is serious. I've got to talk to people seriously because this is serious business. Like, I'm not saying don't take your business and what you do seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. And the same, and the same thing goes, you know, when you're talking to your staff and you're engaging with people in your staff, and we'll get into this a bit later as well, um, the, the amazing studies behind the idea that, um, you know, people want to be engaged in a funny way. People want their bosses to have a sense of humour. They, they want their bosses to lead them lightly. You know, that, um, there are there's, you know, so many studies. You know, the, the Great Place to Work survey that comes out every year um, where they survey people and they ask them uh, if the place they work at is a great place to work at. And, um, you know, companies like um, Naomi Simpson's company, Red Balloon, always did fantastically in that. And uh, People Bank, the, um, you know, the recruitment company, they always do really well in it. And one of the things they rate people on is, do you think your boss has a good sense of humour? And they've found that um, people who rate their boss as having a great sense of humour are twice as likely to say, I'm going to still be in this company in two years' time as people who think their boss has a very poor sense of humour. So you know, even if you just want uh, better staff retention, just lighten up, lighten up a bit. And, and, and one of the things that I, I talk about when I give this presentation is that um, there's a, a guy called Darren LaCroix who is one of the, uh, he won the world champion public speaking um, thing for uh, a few years ago and he said, um, jokes tear people down but humour lifts people up. So it's really important when I say to people uh, that I'm talking about humour, I'm not talking about those, you know, um, smart ass. Uh, can I say ass on your podcast? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, no, we're okay. Those, um, you know, smart-ass jibes that people do, you know, sometimes uh, when we're leading people, and, and, and I've been guilty of doing this myself, you know, 20 years ago when I was um, a creative leading people that, you know, I, I find it too awkward to have an awkward, com difficult conversation with somebody, so I'd crack a joke about it um, in front of everyone, and that had sort of, um, when I wanted to say to someone, look, you know, I really need you to stop doing that, that's not fair, um, you'd crack a joke about it and, and because it was too awkward. Don't do that. So that's not what I'm talking about when it comes to humour. I'm talking about, um, for, for starters, not taking yourself too seriously and not taking um, your business too seriously so that um, it diffuses all the tension. That is really common, you know, because the reason I mentioned that I've, I've come from a small business background is, like, I know how much pressure there is in small business. You know, when I was finishing university um, as a pharmacist in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, was back when um, you probably weren't around in this country then, um, Brian, but it was when in Australia we had the uh, recession we had to have as Paul Keating, the then Treasurer, 
described in you know the late eighties and interest rates uh, you know on, on your business your business account at the bank were seventeen percent and, and that sort of thing even even I remember my dad telling me his his uh, business overdraft got up to nineteen percent at one stage and um, so I'm not saying don't take your business seriously. Um, don't take what you do seriously, but just don't take yourself seriously. Because yeah, so it's, having, being, it's, having a, it's having a light-hearted view while still being professional to build yes. that empathy. Is this what we're saying there? To, to find a to find a less a less serious, less tense sort of uh, um, I suppose dialogue, if you like, to get that connection between you and the and the person. Because after all, you, invariably in the environment we're talking about, you're in a sales scenario where the pressure's on, isn't it? People are conscious that you're there and you want to stitch them up. That, that's in the back yeah. of their minds. Uh, you, so you're trying to, what you're saying is a bit of humour can, can really disarm that, that sort of situation. Absolutely. The, the, the body of research into how humour can help people uh, through these sort of things is absolutely enormous if you go looking at it. Firstly, from... Uh, as we're talking about the, the sales point of view, which I'll, I'll talk about um, now, and then also the resilience point of view when we're talking about uh, how much pressure is in small business. Like, funny gets people to, to listen. Like, the use of appropriate humour makes people want to read and hear what you have to say. Because, as you say, um, when you're going into a sales environment, people know what you're there for. You know, people are absolutely certain. You know, you know, and you know they know, and they know you know they know. Like everyone knows why you're there, and that is you want to sell them something. But if you can get them laughing, particularly at a a shared frustration or a common enemy. So if you can get people laughing at you know whatever uh, problem your business, your uh, product or services solves, whatever that problem is. If you can find um, ways to get that la- get them laughing about that problem, all of a sudden, all the barriers drop down, and they see. You see, our brains evolved about twenty thousand years ago, and our brains evolved to see everybody as them and us, because uh, that's how bi- um, that's how our tribes evolved. That's why the human race is still here, because our brains very quickly sorted everybody into them and us, and there's only room for about two hundred us in our brains because that's about how big our tribes were about 20,000 years ago is what the, the scientists believe. But if you can get somebody laughing, uh, you know, if you're sitting across the desk from somebody and you can get somebody laughing, as I say, about a shared frustration or a common enemy. So have a think about, you know, have put yourself in the shoes of the person across the other side of the desk and ask them what is a, a shared frustration I have with them. For example, quite often it's regulation. In, um, in franchises and things like that, or if you're selling to the franchisee, um, then have a chat about um, the shared frustrations of dealing with a franchi- franchisor, or if you're dealing with the franchisor, have a chat about the shared frustrations of managing a whole lot of franchisees, and just find funny stories about um, franchising or the sort of problems that the person you're trying to sell to uh, would... Uh, would almost definitely have. So, as I was saying, quite often that's regulation. Quite often it's um, their clients, you know, dealing with the sort of customers that they deal with. Find funny stories about the typical situations that that person deals with every day. And then getting back to the them and us stuff, then um, I, I'm, I'm, I can't sort of describe I'm making um, 
gestures in the air. So your brain stops seeing them, uh, seeing the other person as a them, you know, facing you, and all of a sudden you're both arm in arm, one arm around each other's shoulders, pointing over at that thing in the distance, laughing at that thing over there. And then all of a sudden your your brain sees, um, their brain sees you as an us rather than a them, and all those barriers come down and they become far more open to listening to what you have to say. You know, it, um, humor increases connections. It, even just when you're talking to a room full of people, if you make, uh, tell a funny story or you uh, crack a joke, positive sounds like just some other people in the room laughing have been proven to make you seem more appealing and more trustworthy. It increases the likability of the speaker. And, and so even if at your first joke um, the people don't laugh, by the time, you know, if someone finds you particularly funny and you tell two or three jokes, by the time, you, you know how like when you go to a comedy club or in a movie or something like that, maybe the audience is a bit cold to start, mm-hmm. but by the time, by the time, by, you know, six, seven minutes in, if the comedian's doing really well, then the whole room starts to laugh. It's been shown that this is because just hearing some laughter in the room we're in makes us more likely to laugh at uh, jokes further down the track. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not... Um, this isn't completely foreign to people uh, listening. I'm sure that you know when when you go along. Sometimes you're in a bad you're in a bad mood, but by the time you've got ten minutes into a funny movie or a comedian's performance, the, the whole room has persuaded you that this guy is funny <laughs> because you're here and our brains react to those um, messages of hearing people laugh. So yeah, Sorry, carry on. You're right. No, no, you're right. No, no. Um, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I'm, I think we're all conscious of this. So uh, certainly our debates out there, I'm, I'm fascinated to learn more. I mean, for example, there's been that big movement in the last few years about laughing. People get together as a group and just laugh. Uh, just just actually stand there on your own and just do a bit of belly laughing for a few minutes mm. and changes your, your state of mind. Um, so uh, laughter is, in fact, not just... Uh, a great tool for building rapport with people, but it's great for your own health as well. So it's a, it's a pretty wide, uh, wide influencing area. So tell me, um, yeah, I, yeah, so just, 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 just quickly about that, maybe because sure. you know, because of again, it's, it comes down to how our brains evolved. We are yeah. social animals, and um, the reason that the human race is still here is that um, you know, ten, twenty thousand years ago, we decided to work together and to put the group's needs ahead of our own. And so that, um, you know, we fought wars together and we fought off other tribes together and we, you know, and we nurtured um, each other's children. You know, that old thing about it takes a village to raise a child and, and, and that's how it, why the human race is still here. So things that break down social barriers, which humour is absolutely wonderful at doing, they, they work at a subconscious level in our brains and make us, you know, like I was saying before, about it positions you as an us instead of a them. And then that uh, people start to trust you more and people are much more open to um, uh, listening to what you have to say. Like being funny is even um, uh, being shown, like someone is, uh, gives, two, they could put two people up there and got one to give a speech and one to give a, a speech that was funny. Funny even builds your credibility. People who use humour are seen to be more credible and more competent and more trustworthy, even if they're, they're actually not. Just because it has that, I just like this guy. You know, I just like this guy. This guy's, you know, he's, he laughs at things that I understand. He laughs at things that I laugh about already. So I just like this guy. And then 
that decreases anxiety. You know, you, as you were saying before, you know, there's a lot of anxiety when you're trying to sell to people. So if you can do things that reduce that anxiety and, and work on, on, on people's brains um, in a way that they don't even necessarily understand, it's an incredibly powerful tool. Right, yeah. Look, and it's, it's obviously you've got a vast knowledge about what you do. I mean, speaks for itself, the, the appearances you've given and the 15 books you've written. So perhaps for our listeners, um, I'm privileged to know a little bit more about you, but for the listeners, um, can you just tell us briefly why you're the expert? You mentioned you were a pharmacist, or you did a pharmacy degree. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A long way, that's a long way from stand-up comedy and more, more <laughs> money, more funny, more money. So can you give me the transition there? Where did you learn to be funny, Marty? Well, sure. I, I, I grew up being uh, a pharmacist in, in my dad's pharmacy, and I'm sure all, all your franchisees and franchisors uh, listening will understand that uh, he press-ganged me into work in his pharmacy and all, all the public holidays and, and uh, you know, Christmas and Easter and that sort of thing because it was too expensive to pay his staff, so the whole family got dragged in to work for him. And, and then uh, going through school, uh, high school, I, I did a bit of work for him on weekends and that sort of thing, and, and I really enjoyed it. But then once I graduated from university and um, realised when you're the man in charge rather than the um, the person out in the front just chatting to people and solving problems and helping them find what they're after, like that was the bit I really enjoyed because I'm, I'm quite a social guy, um, I realised how much of pharmacy is just doing paperwork. You know, like I, I say, it's, it's like being in an army requisition store where people come in with a little uh, note and you go and get them what they want, about half of them whinge about the price and then they go. <laughs> Um, yeah. And so I really didn't enjoy it, and, and um, I, I dabbled in advertising, uh, being a copywriter and advertising for a little while. But, but um, and that was quite good because it was, you know, just making up funny stuff. But then I, I got dared into doing stand-up comedy when I was working in advertising. Like I was in advertising in the mid '90s, and as you know, back in those days, it was all you know Apple Max and ponytails and, and all that sort of thing. And, and we're doing this. Um, Typically, 1990s um, frantic. Uh, what's, what's the word for it? Um, enthusiastic goal-setting goal session at the start of the the year, and I just happened to mention that I um, I wouldn't mind giving stand-up comedy a try one day. And it was like one of those scenes in the movie because the the um, this uh, typographer was way up the other end of the room, turned around and said, "Oh, I got given a flyer about um, people trying stand-up comedy at the Harold Park Hotel here in Sydney tonight," and it was and it was one of those. Because, um, you know, everybody, I was like second last in this session of about 12 people sharing their goals. And, and so I was like, all the eyes just turned straight at me. And it was, you know, those scenes in the movie when, like, the camera comes into somebody's face and, like, the, the background sort of, um, I, I forget the camera technique, but it's just one of those, like, where they're totally caught in the, in the headlights, like a deer in headlights. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm trying stand-up comedy tonight then. <laughs> and so because it was right in the middle of this goal session, I had to give it a go. Um, and so everyone came along and I got dared into doing it that night and it was one of those things where it went really well. I mean, I, I'd always been like, you know, the kid at school who'd done, you know, taken the mickey out of the headmaster and I'd done all 21st birthday speeches and I'd, I'd always been, but the way my, my dad describes it is it's the uh, the perfect job for anyone genetically designed to be the class dickhead. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and, and so I went along and it went really well and they asked me back for, sec uh, for the next week and then the third week they paid me, and it was like, hang on, one second, you mean I can actually earn a living doing this? And then, delightfully, as you mentioned at the start, I ended up winning Australian Comic of the Year about a year after that, which um, 
which it doesn't run anymore, sadly, but it was it's the the same award that Arne Doe won, and I had to beat Tom Gleeson in my year in the final. So it, um, it was oh. it was a big thing. It was a big thing at the time. Um, and on the back of that, I got asked to go and uh, live and work in the UK. Um, an agent contacted me over there, and it was one of those things. You know, it was just um, when it was just myself and my then English girlfriend, now English wife. It was the the most fun in the world. You know, it was an absolutely delightful way to to earn a living. But then, yeah, look, full of envy, I can imagine. If it's something you love like that and getting people to laugh, it must just be a lot of fun. But pressure's on at times as well, I can imagine. I mean, uh, you, you know, we don't all feel full of bounce and humour coming flowing, you know. Um, well, I mean, it, it, it's, it, I, I understand what you're saying, and, 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 but it is one of those things that it, it's, it's um, you know, people talk about, you know, in work health safety and, safety and that sort of thing, talk about... Um, uh, the, the work work health environment. Um, being in a comedy club for three hours, uh, three or four nights a week, is a really lovely work environment. You know, you, you, there's three three hundred people laughing themselves silly for the whole three hours. For about thirty or forty minutes of that, you're on stage and everyone's looking up at you with you know that um, you're fantastic, buddy. Good on you. Um, look on their eyes, and it, it's um, it's a really happy way to spend your spend your time. The, the only thing for me was. Once I started having kids, it um, I very quickly worked out that it's reasonably incompatible because I married my English girlfriend and we had our first child over there. It's reasonably incompatible with being being a decent husband and father, you know, just just because you're uh, you're travelling all the time and working is weekends at night all the time. Um, mm. So. You know, um, and I know, you know, that probably sounds like um, uh, something familiar to a lot of the, the people listening to your podcast. But, um, but uh, yeah, so I moved, we moved back to Australia, and then, and then I, I started um, I started writing these books because I, I had enough of the stage time for a while and started writing these What I Wish I Knew books that I've got out there. And um, but then someone asked me to speak about these books at their conference, and it was um, one of those things. As, as soon as I did. The corporate speaking, it, um, I realised that uh, this is what I was really meant to be doing. Because the, the great thing about uh, speaking as opposed to stand-up, when, when you're doing stand-up, you have to hit them with a punchline every 17 seconds, or they just throw stuff at you. You know, whether it be beer <laughs> bottles, beer bottles, or the, or the you know the chicken wings on the, <laughs> or something like that. Whereas um, whereas doing the speaking, and, and I guess this is what gives me an insight, I guess, into using humour in your business, is that. You know, you don't have to be bang, 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 funny all the time. Like, you know, when I when I do a, a keynote, one of the things I, I talk about in my um, professional career is, um, like, I do talk about this more funny, more money stuff, but the main thing I talk about is being resilient through times of change. And when I talk about that, I, I talk for three or four minutes about um, when my wife, my wife's had an ongoing battle with depression and anxiety all her life. And I remember at one time, like, she had, uh, we've got three kids and she had the poor thing. She had crippling postnatal depression after all three of our kids to the point where after about six months after the birth of our third child, Charlie, I came home and she um, uh, showed me the goodbye letters that she'd written to myself and all three of our kids separately. And so, you know, and, and I talk about this, uh, how we got through that and indeed sort of how we used humour to, to get through that. Um, one of, I'll, I'll talk about it a bit later when we talk about resilience and humor. Um, but the thing about that is that I'm making point for you guys today is that it's okay 
when you're communicating with people that, you know, you can talk about some serious stuff part of the time, but if you bracket that or if you frame that with some funny stuff beforehand and some funny stuff afterwards, um, it really gets people engaged with you and on this roller coaster with you that, um, that um, it, it's this wonderful glue that you can weave through any presentation, any sales pitch or any presentation to um, keep them loving you to bits. I can see there's a lot to learn here. I'm finding more and more applications <laughs> um, way, way past having a wife suffering from postnatal uh, problems, but uh, our children are well grown up. But nevertheless, there's lots of applications. So that all sounds great. Really fascinating. You've certainly got me quite absorbed here. So what are the, you know, can you give us a little bit of fundamental? You've mentioned a few statistics and different bits and pieces of, about the benefits of humour and the applications. But what, what are the concrete sort of scientifically proven benefits of of cultivating humour, Martin? Yeah, well, um, um, if um, if people uh, have a look at, um, if they search, I've done a TED talk on resilience and humour, um, get people sort of more um, more information than I have time to give here. It's just, if they just sort of search for TED talk, uh, take funny seriously, is my TED talk and all this stuff. But, but just quickly, um, humour has been shown to, if you can deliberately choose to laugh at your stressors, if you can deliberately choose to make fun of things that are stressing you out, so um, is the key to it. So part, that's partly what you talked about before, Brian, about you know people deliberately getting together and choosing to laugh, you know, just manufacturing laughter, just because when just when you laugh full stop, that just floods your brain with all those um, noradrenaline, serotonin, all those feel-good neuro um, neurotransmitters that the brain loves, which is why, you know, partly why when you eat, when you um, make that happen in the brains of other people, that's why they love you to bits. Because there's a, a, an author called Jeffrey Gittimer who said the end of laughter is the beginning of listening. When you can get people um, laughing, then they just hang on, you know, hang on the next thing you say and just love you to bits. Mm-hmm. But when you can deliberately choose to laugh at your stressors, there's been it's in, in the TED talk the, the the studies are there if, if you want to sort of look them up and have a read of them. They're fascinating stuff to, to look at. Um, it's like it flicks a switch in the back of your brain that says to your brain, well, well, I must be bigger than this. You know, if I can be laughing at this, then I must have control over this. I must be bigger than this. Mm-hmm. And that ha- has been proven to uh, increase your personal resilience. It's been improven, It's been proven to increase your ability to bounce back from things has been proven to increase your ability to to uh, feel more in control of those things that are stressing you. And particularly, you know, I'm sure the guys who are listening to your podcast probably are leading people back in their businesses, you know, are leading people in their teams. And if you can show that you don't get stressed when everybody else does, that's help, that helps everybody else see. I, I interviewed a guy for one of my What I Wish I Knew books um, called um, Bill... Oh, I've forgotten his last name. That's terrible. He'll, he'll kill me. Um, but um, this guy was a, a um, an officer in the British Army for 25 years. So not a bad, uh, what they call, torture test for a leadership. And I asked him, what was the, if there's one thing about leadership that you could sum up? He said, that's easy. Absolutely easy. He said, just four words, don't panic the troops. He said, if I can keep a little half smile on my face, that little Buddhist half smile on my face, and maybe even crack a joke when um, everything is going pear-shaped, then that says to them, 
I've been through this crap storm before. I'll get you guys through this crap storm now. And so it's so, it, it's so powerful if you can, you as the leader in your business can maintain a little half smile or crack some appropriate humor in the middle of the most stressful times in the day because then everyone looking up to you just sees you as like, well, you know, if he's not stressed, I don't need to be stressed. You know, like, um, I trust him. It's just been shown to make people trust you if you can maintain your sense of humour when everybody else around is losing theirs. You know, that old um, Rudyard Kipling thing about if you can keep your head when all those around are losing theirs. So, so it's part yeah. of the leadership sort of uh, culture. Yeah, really. and, and it's yeah, and 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 it's and it's, it's it's also good for your own resilience as well. And that so it helps you, it helps you stay in control of your emotions, and and that as a consequence flows on to your people. And, and that's where um, you know I, I say you know the the three parts of humour cultivating humour gives you um, increases in resilience, retention, and revenue, because um, it helps you um, maintain your own sense of humour. And uh, the thing I um, Leading back to when um, my wife Ali showed me the um, the goodbye letters, she, after a while, you know, we had some you know pretty necessary but brutal conversations. And, and after a while, I said to her, "Look, you know, how can I help?" Because you know, it was one of those times, and I'm sure your listeners have all been through as well, where one of those times when, when she showed me these things, there was just that that moment of about ten seconds inside my head where I was saying to myself, and, and I'm sure franchisees face this moment all the time, just that holy crap, I'm not sure I'm big enough to handle this. You know, I'm not sure I have the um, the strength to get through this. Mm. Then I, I said to her, look, I've got to take, I, I remember making the decision in my mind, I remember saying to her, like, I think I'll just take her lead and just said, look, how can I help? Or, or how how can I not make this worse? <laughs> and she said, and she was quiet for a couple of seconds and, and she said, you know, we don't laugh anymore. And we used to be the people, like we used to be people who go along to comedy clubs all the time. You know, when I was doing comedy, um, we'd watch funny movies, we'd watch funny TV shows on the tell, you know, like QI and Graham Norton from the US and Whose Lines It Anyway from the U, um, uh, from the, from the UK and then, you know, uh, Whose Lines It Anyway from the US and that sort of thing. And we'd stopped. And, and so we deliberately started deliberately injecting humour into our lives again. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that doing that was what cured my wife of depression or anything ridiculous like that. But it was the start. Like, it was the turning point was when we started to take funny seriously, as I say. And so I would strongly encourage anyone leading people at back at the workplace to deliberately try and put some funny into your business. Um, because... Um, it keeps your sense of humour pumped up. So you've got a, you almost got a, a, a tank of humour if you like, yeah, yeah. So you've been laughing, therefore you've got so you've got a bit of reserve to draw upon to give you that resilience, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's um and it's uh and it's been shown in you know many many studies. Because like, you know I I know what small business is like. I remember growing up in the house when you know when my dad was going through the eighties and that sort of thing, and he was stressed out of his brain, the poor bugger. And I, I know what small business is like. You know I'm running you know basically a one man business doing this speaking stuff that I'm doing now. So. I, I understand what small business is like. So you can't just, because most people just go through life waiting for the funny to happen and then, you know, enjoying it when it does. But I would say you need to deliberately try to find ways to inject humour into what you do. Um, you've got to look for it, basically. 
Yeah, and, and so yeah. you know when you when you are working out um, how you know having the weekly staff meeting or your you know you have to have a staff meeting about something, find some way to get humour into it. You know, deliberately choose to put some humour into it rather than just okay, here's the agenda, bang, 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 bang. All right, there we go, bye. But so I was saying before about you know when you put some humour into it, when you get your people laughing about you know, shared frustrations or common enemies, you know, um, then they see you as he's with us. Humour has been shown to um, totally diffuse all status differentials, is the way to put it. So it's like, we're all in this together. When you can get people laughing, everyone feels we're all in this together, like we're in the same tribe, we're in the us together, rather than he's our boss telling us what to do. If you can get people laughing, and it almost doesn't matter what you laugh about, as long as you can get people laughing, those feel-good um, neurotransmitters flood your brain and everyone, all the status differentials collapse and everyone sees you as an us. And that is so vital for, for retention, as I, as I was saying earlier. Like the, um, yeah. the, guys, the guys from People Bank um, is one example that, that I show. Um, Peter Atchison, the, uh, the MD at People Bank, the big recruiting company, they have a, a monthly, um, it used to be a newsletter, but he started turning them into videos. And... He was putting a message out there that there was a deal through work that you, through the business that um, people who had cars could use, you know, do it through business salary sacrifice and that sort of thing. And he was just doing a video, like a two-minute video, explaining that to the people. And he's known he's known for having um, this particular black, um, I forget, what, we'll just say it's a BMW. That doesn't really matter. His car is very distinctive. And while he was doing this video. Um, his, um, one of the guys immediately under him um, just drove past in his car and said, oh, this is awesome, please. Like, like, and, um, and everyone knew that he was nicking um, Peter's car. And now, that isn't a bust out loud, the funniest thing you've ever heard, oh, my God, this guy's a comedy genius, but it just added that tiny little bit of smile humour to this two-minute video that got everyone to watch it and got people to think that Peter Atchison, like, he's a good guy. Like, you know, so, you know, when I see him in the hallway later on, I'll say later on, because he's a good dude. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, the bar is so low for trying a bit of humour. That, that's the thing I really try and encourage people. I know I've mentioned this before, but just try some tiny little bits of humour, even if it just makes people, if you room of 10 people and only two people laugh, but six people smile, it's done its job. Uh, yeah, so then it, be, it then, then it becomes infectious, doesn't it? From there, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and it and it gives other people permission. Yeah, and and it gives other people on your staff permission to do you know a, a appropriate thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean you know to be being sexist or racist or any other you know stupid thing about it. There's lots of ways to be uh, inoffensive with humour without um, oh. doing any stuff like that. Um, but just it encourages everyone to bring up funny stories. You know, like one of the things I say to people when I work with businesses um, is just, what's the funniest thing that happened to you this week? Like I ask my kids that over the dinner table every night, what, what made you laugh today? And then just sharing that stuff together creates such a bond when we all, for, it's only like four or five minutes at the dinner table every night when, when we can sit down when, when I'm home. Um, uh, it just creates this lovely thing that, um, that you can take into your business as well. You mentioned earlier you slipped in a couple of things, which I know is part of your, you know, your, your sort of uh, um, your core, I suppose, resilience, retention, and you mentioned earlier revenue. Sounds like it's natural for the three R's, but could you just yeah. perhaps add a little bit to round that off before we wrap up? 
Yeah, sure, mate. It's um, one of the things uh, I was saying about, you know, I, I did um, a little bit of work with um, people like in uh, uh, some of the franchises like um, Dimmix and Jamaica Blue and, and, and I've done some work with those guys. And one of the things I say to them, and, and I've touched on this a little bit before, is when you're trying to persuade people to buy something from you, don't, you know, tell them, uh, don't tell them about its benefits and its features. Tell them a story about someone who has enjoyed those benefits and its features. In particular, if you can tell them a funny story about that, that's even better. Because, you know, like you were saying when we first opened up this conversation, you know, like when you're in that sales situation, everyone knows why you're there. And there's a certain amount of tension around that, obviously. So um, to get rid of that tension, rather than try and say to people, you know, this is, um, because, you know, when, if I say to you, I'm a really trustworthy person, your prefrontal cortex, the front part of your brain behind your forehead, um, the part that makes us higher mammals, that shuts in and very quickly decides whether you believe that or not. But if I tell you a story that just happens to illustrate that I'm a really trustworthy person, it's actually a different part of your brain listens to stories as listens to facts and figures and statistics. It's the limbic system, the older part of your brain, just right deep inside your brain where all, all the emotional centres are. That's the part of your brain that listens to a story. So if you can tell a story to someone, particularly a funny story that makes them feel good, um, it actually bypasses their judgment centres. So if you can tell them a funny story about the, ben the, the benefits you're, about which you're trying to convince them, it's far more powerful than just bringing out a graph and showing them facts and figures. So, for example, when someone says to me, um, you know, uh, Marty Wilson, you know, uh, I, I got, a, got a perfect example, just a perfect example. Um, I got an inquiry uh, for my MC, I do a fair bit of MC work, for uh, a gig in Hawaii for this um, tel telco's high-performance sales team. And the lady said to me, can you handle unruly audiences? <laughs> and I went, oh, here we go. Um, so it's all, it's all the guys who've won the sales um, figures for the year being flown to Hawaii, um, you know, getting on the grog, on the boss's money for four days. And so this lady said to me, can you handle being an un uh, unruly crowd? And rather than say to her, well, you know, I've done this, I've done this, here's the statistics, you know, I've done this for this many years, I said, look, I was a full-time stand-up comedy MC, an Australian living in the UK on the on the day that Australia lost the Rugby World Cup to the English, <laughs> and I lost a bet. And I lost a bet, saying that I would wear my Wallabies jumper on stage if Australia lost the final. <laughs> so I had to go on stage that night wearing my Wallabies jumper, and so I I didn't say anything more than that and just let it let it hang there. And the lady just laughed and said, so you can handle unruly audiences. And I said, absolutely I can, absolutely I can. And the thing about it is when you tell somebody a story, particularly if it's, you know, even if that, that's really like a smile story. It's not like a burst out loud funny story. If you can tell somebody a story, like, um, you know, when you're listening to this, if people are listening to it in their car, they are looking um, out their window, they're seeing the road go past, or if they're sitting at home, sitting in, in a cafe, they're seeing what their eyes are seeing. But when I told you that I was in a stand-up comedy club having to wear my Wallabies jumper on stage, 
even people who don't know what I look like, you formed an image in your brain of a person standing on a stage wearing a wallabies jumper with a microphone in their hand. I did, absolutely, that's, did right, yeah, so I'm, I'm like that, everybody else, I suspect, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's why people go along, you know, and and see a movie made out of their favourite book, you know, people go and see Lord of the Rings and say, oh, Gollum didn't look like that, that's just ridiculous. When you hear a story, there's a thing called a referential shift that happens in your brain where you stop seeing what your brain is seeing and your brain starts to picture what it thinks the main characters in the story see or look like. And so that's that shows you that um, you are, in neuroscience, you are bypassing people's judgment centres and they forget about evaluating the rights and wrongs of what you're saying and they start getting involved in the story in a first-person way. Their brain starts to imagine what the people in the story are, are seeing and hearing and experiencing. So if you can tell somebody a story, particularly a funny story that makes them smile and gets all those... It's sort of like getting it all together now. Um, if you can tell somebody a funny story that illustrates the benefits of your services or your products, so for example, um, you know, um, just say you're in Dimmicks and you are trying to convince somebody that um, they should buy the, uh, like an author who is, they've come in asking for a Stephen King book, for example, and you're wanting to tell, um, tell them that um, to, they should buy like Peter Staub or, or, you know, one of the other sort of horror authors or something like that. If you can find, you know, gather up stories of customers who loved these authors, which, you know, which, you know, like when you go into a bookstore and really good books, booksellers do do this, like they have stories from the other books that they're trying to get you to read or they have stories about the author who wrote the book and they were funny stories about or, you know, interesting stories about the author or, you know, quirky stories about the author who wrote the book. And um, if you can tell funny stories then all of a sudden, all those um, status differentials, all that anxiety, all that resistance to being sold to totally drops away. And you see that person as an us instead of a them. And it's incredibly okay. powerful for sales. Almost like a, yeah, like, like, like a book review sort of sets it when you read the inside cover and that, it says, oh, that sounds yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's fantastic. Look, we could talk for hours. I've got no doubt about that. You are, and it comes through, and that's fantastic. That's what I love about it. So we know that we can get a TEDx, and um, yep. if, we, if we just Google TEDx and Marty Wilson, we're going we're gonna to find you. Um, without yeah, or any just, um, or uh, just um, yeah, just TED, take funny seriously. If you just search for that, take, it'll, it'll come up. Take funny seriously. I'll make a note of that on the, uh, on the information we, we put out. Um, but w yeah. well, I suppose where else can you know? Is there anywhere people can go to learn a bit more about this fantastic approach of yours? Which I think you know, it's, to me, it just turns everything on its head. Um, you know, it's it's very disarming you, and very powerful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the best part about it is, it's really bloody fun too. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it's not this. Yeah. It's not this. Um, you know, uh, convoluted sales tactic. But you know, sometimes people teach you sales tactics that. You feel a bit guilty trying to do it because you're just telling some funny stories and uh, and, and uh, making the, the time you spend with your prospects really enjoyable for both of you anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so uh, so if people go to morefunnymoremoney.com, there's um, there's a couple of different options there. There's there's a free uh, series of five videos if they um, uh, sign up to my newsletter. There's um, five free videos they can download. Uh, that uh, have 
joke techniques they can start using today to make, um, you know, their content, their social media, that sort of thing funnier. So there's five free videos there. There's also a free one-hour masterclass that, that they can sign up for. It was a, a webinar that I recorded a couple of weeks ago that, that um, it's on sort of autoplay that they can watch anytime. And there's other stuff. There's, you know, actually, tell you what, um, my TED Talk's on there. If I just go to morefunnymoremoney.com, my TED Talk is uh, is loaded up in there. And there's also the, the keynote I did at that funny business conference you, you talked about before. Okay, excellent. Look, that's fantastic. Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. I've been smiling regularly through this conversation, which is great, seeing as I spent 15 minutes frantically looking for my keys earlier this morning, trying to find reasons to laugh about <laughs> The ridiculous situation I found myself in. But, uh, um, that's, that's fantastic. And it, you know, I think for, for a lot of people, it is a, you know, if you hurt yourself, you, know, you laugh, don't you? It, it gets rid of the pain. So, can I stop you there, mate? Just, um, yeah. for example, that story of you frantically walking around looking for your keys, yeah. you could turn that in, you could turn that into a story. And, and I, I explain this in, in the webinar and in, in the, the, the funny business speech, just go and watch that. It explains it, it shows people a lot of techniques for how to use funny stories and how to flip them around so that they're relevant in almost any situation. Because, you know, some people go, you know, you might say, well, how can I use that, um, uh, finding my keys? That's a situation. Remember I talked about common frustrations and common enemies? Yeah. Use, use that story as a way to engage people and for example one of the things you can say is you know have you ever have you ever been in a situation where you know you put something down here and you just can't find it um, at any time like and that can be a metaphor for trying to find something in your business you know like you know that this the solution to the problem you've got in your business is here you know it's staring you in the face you thought about it yesterday and you just can't remember where it is you know like so um, so Please go, go and watch the, uh, the funny business speech I give and that'll explain to you how to, where to find funny stories and how to use them in all your content and your presentations. Marty, it's been fantastic. I'm absolutely delighted that I did manage to get you. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. It took a while, but it was great value. <laughs> so I really appreciate your time. That's really, really Please. kind of you. So for, for everyone listening, I, I hope you, you've enjoyed this. If you've got any questions for Marty, um, you can put them through to me or I'm sure there's, a, there's somewhere on the website there you can ask them, but do go and take that material. I've had a look at it myself, and it, it's, it's really quite, quite an eye-opener, and you'll enjoy it. That's amazing. It's not hard and reading. Do, and do make, sure you, um, do make sure you come and, uh, if I end up speaking at your um, franchisee time, do, do come up and say hello and say you heard me on Brian's thing. I'd love to chat. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's, that's a great comment. So thank, thanks, Marty. Um, so everyone, this is Brian Kane from Franchise Simply signing off. Looking forward to being with you when we interview our next Franchise Radio Show guest.